Malachi 3, beginning at verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, uh, which we hid, of course, when we had our 2 Corinthians series uh, a couple of years ago. Verses 6 through 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, a message on giving, a little problem with that. Not tons of people just love to hear messages on giving. A guy by the name of Ben Rogers once said, when you go to a doctor for your annual checkup, and I know a little bit about checkups, and they're a little more often than annually, and A lot of you know what I'm talking about yourselves, too. But a doctor at a checkup will begin to poke and prod and press and do these different things and will be asking, does this hurt or how about this? And and if you cry out in pain, there's one of two possibilities. Either the doctor has pushed too hard in the wrong place and wasn't sensitive enough Or, more likely, there's something wrong. And the doctor will say, we'd better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt there, man. And this Ben Rogers says it can be like that when pastors preach on financial responsibility. And they do that, preachers do that, you know, everywhere in churches. And certain members will cry out, they're kind of uncomfortable, criticize the message or the messenger, either... The pastor has pushed too hard, and that's entirely possible. Pastors are not perfect. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. But two, perhaps there's something wrong. And and if that's true, then we need the great physician uh, because it's not supposed to hurt there. And here's the thing. I don't want to be like a doctor that pushes too hard on giving or on any other matter. What I want to do is I just want to be... Uh, straight up to you today and talk to you about giving. And there are especially two reasons, and one of them Randy laid out to you, so I don't want to go too much into that, but we're further behind in our budget giving than we should be right now as a church. We're also further behind in our Timothy commitment than we should be for only six weeks left in the school year. And I truly believe, I, I know the economy, I know the struggles that we have. I, I truly believe that if all of our members, including our regular attenders who consider this their church home, were giving faithfully, I believe we would not be 
where we're at in terms of being behind on the Timothy commitment or our budget. And I want to say just a side note on our Timothy obligation, that money is sent uh, to help kids get a Christian education at Timothy, even if those families' incomes make that really, really tough. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but I would really strongly argue that every single one of us should be contributing to that fund to one extent or another. Because listen to this. Every single baptism I ask, do you, the people of the Lord, promise to receive this child in love, pray for him, help care for his or her instruction in the faith, and so on. And we say, I do. And so we promise to care for each child's instruction in the faith. And part of that instruction, as many families see it, is a Christian education. And we support that strongly as a church. Parents make other choices other than Timothy for their kids, and that's not a problem. But we will not back down from making Timothy affordable for all covenant families who want it. And I believe it's part of our baptism vows to help all families afford Christian education who want it. So please, everyone, maybe you haven't thought about it that way before, or we need a reminder of it, but please, considering our baptismal vows, consider your giving to that fund. So number one, we're having this sermon because I believe we're further behind than we should be on things. Second, we're having this sermon on giving because the Bible talks about our money and what we should do with it. The Bible talks about it a whole lot. We're told that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptic gospels, we call them, one out of six verses deals with money. Of Jesus' 29 parables, 16 of them deal with a person and his money. And the fact is, the elders should be on a pastor's case if that pastor is not preaching on giving and financial stewardship at least once a year. So we're going to allow God's Word to do a checkup on us today, a four-point checkup. I want us to listen to these. These are really just basic foundational principles. These aren't wild ideas. These are the basic foundational biblical giving principles. Allow the Spirit to speak to you, and I'm going to allow the Spirit to speak to me and see how you're doing. If you're doing great, fabulous. If not, listen to the Lord. Make adjustments if you need to. First of all, this is the big overriding biblical giving principle. We're going to spend our most, most of our time on this and then also on the other three. But first of all, biblical giving is proportional. It's proportional. I want to compare this uh, sort of equivalent to the doctor checking on your breathing and lungs, which is very important for your health. In fact, it's paramount. Breathing your lungs, that involves oxygen intake, which then the blood carries to your whole body. All your organs, everything needs oxygen. And, and so the doctor puts that stethoscope on your back. You have to breathe deeply a few times. He or she listens very carefully. I don't understand exactly what's going on, but it has to do with your airways being clear. And a little more detailed look is when they put that little thing on your finger and it gives a percentage. You know what I'm talking about? 
I know you want that to be in the high 90s. I have monthly doctor's visits. In the last couple months, they put in my finger, and it was 100%, and I was very proud of myself. I think it has to do with oxygen saturation. So that part of your checkup for a doctor has to do with oxygen lungs breathing. As foundational as oxygen is to our bodies to stay alive, this principle is of that level of importance spiritually in terms of giving. And this is where that idea you hear people talk about the tithe comes in with proportional giving. Malachi 3.10, we read it, referred to it. It's an Old Testament-based principle. 10% of what God's Old Testament people had, what 10% of what came in, had to go toward the upkeep of the tabernacle and the temple, and it was for the Levites. Those were the preachers, the clergy. There are a few different ideas on this, and how and whether exactly the tithe applies today. Without being overly dogmatic about it, I do believe the 10% applies today. The Old Testament is God's word. Now, in the New Testament, any number of Old Testament laws have passed away. But where those Old Testament laws passed away, the New Testament makes that very clear. Nothing is said about the tithe passing away. And Jesus assumes the tithe is happening when he's talking and preaching. So I think we do have to listen to that and take that seriously today in terms of our giving. But the idea behind it all is you give as you've been blessed. That's what's more important. That that is what it's about. That's the big principle. You give according to how you've been blessed. And it's tremendously freeing in a sense. It also gives great responsibility. And it means there's no set amount. There's no set amount that each person or household is to give back to the Lord. There's no certain number. The giving is going to be different for everyone in here. It'll be different for everyone sitting around you. If you study the way we lay out our budget each year, you see that historically we divided up the budget by household. And you get a number, per household number. And that gives you a certain amount of information, but it doesn't tell you what you should give. That would be a mistake to think that way. It does tell you, let's say the number is 4,000. Last year was a little less than that. What it does tell you is that a household that even has an income of 40,000 can, quote unquote, make the budget if they give their full tithe to the church. But It doesn't tell you how much to give exactly. No church should ever be telling someone to give a certain set amount. God would never call us to do that. Our duty is not fulfilled by a set amount. Our calling is to give as we've received. That's what pleases the Lord. Proportional giving. That is healthy giving. That is God-glorifying giving. Peter Marshall once said, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. I believe, and I I would humbly suggest to you, that the 10% guideline continues today. Uh, Most folks I hear that teach on this 
say the 10% is sort of the starting point for Christians today. And if more, God, fabulous. And also, most Bible teachers will tell you, most of our tithes and giving should go to one's local church. And occasionally, we have offerings like today for the general budget. Otherwise, week by week, month by month, giving to faith's budget happens through the budget envelope system. It happens also more recently through online giving, which is very handy. You can sign up by going to the website. It can bring discipline to your giving. And then when we make sure our local church is, is healthy, and as Randy mentioned earlier, the faithfulness over the years of this church, this church has seen to that over the years, then when we do that, a Christian can give to other causes too. And that's why we have so many other offerings for other causes throughout the year. So, the biblical idea of the tithe, proportional giving, giving as you've been blessed. And the question is, how are you doing? This is a little checkup today, right? How are you doing? Do you need to reevaluate your giving according to this principle? The famous J.D. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tithe the f- my first million dollars if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. And what, what, that, what that tells me is that the key is to start now. It doesn't give me great hope that I'll be a millionaire like Rockefeller, but it does tell me, I mean, it tells me that guy, no matter how much he earned, he had no idea he was going to make that, but when he was making $1.50 a week, he tithed. If there's nothing, nothing else you hear this morning, please hear this. We've got we to start this, no matter where you're at. Everyone thinks, every single person thinks that they simply cannot do this, that that's an impossible request of the church. It's, it's not a request to the church. This is not from the church. This is not from a pastor. This is God laying out giving principles. Everyone thinks that once they get on a better financial footing, they'll start tithing. Everyone thinks once they start making money, everyone thinks once we have a few less expenses, once we get the car paid off, and here's the thing, it will never happen. It will never happen if you, if you think that way, if you keep thinking, I'm going to do it in next year, I'm going to do it in five years. It will never, ever, ever happen. You've got to start now. It's a faith thing. You've got to go for it. Our giving has to be the first 10%, not the last, before tuition payments, before vacations, and all the rest. And if you did not do this from the beginning and start of your earning income, it's going to be real tough to get on track, but you got to bite the bullet. Now's the time to start. And, and the reality is, if you do it his way, God works it out as he has and continues to for so many faithful givers here. And Sarah and I can testify to this ourselves, that he works it out. He really does. Someone once said, it's not what you do with the million if fortune should e'er be your lot, but what are you doing at present with the dollar and the quarter that you got? 
You know, speaking of a dollar and a quarter, proportional giving means even if your income is very little, if you've been struggling, it means something pretty amazing for you. It means that you can make a difference in God's kingdom work. If you're on a fixed income or if you've been struggling work-wise, you don't have to feel guilty about what you've been contributing. Just keep giving back faithfully as you've been blessed, even if it ain't been much recently. And God can use that. He can do much more with a widow's might if he wants to than we could do with the million dollars. He's God. We're just called to be faithful. And then we watch him do the rest. That leads us to a second foundational principle, sacrificial giving. C.S. Lewis, wonderful, wonderful man, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a lot of other stuff on the Christian faith. He also said this about giving. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And that, that's very easy to say and sort of re, re, recite the quote and sort of hear, but you think about it, those words and, and that thought. That, that's tough. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Sacrificial giving is like the doctor moving from lungs and oxygen intake to checking our heart and blood. The doctor listens to your heart beating, your pulse is taken, your blood pressure is checked. That all has to do with the heart that pumps blood throughout the body, which delivers oxygen and does other stuff too. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, in his heart to give. So you see, it must come from the heart. And the heart of the faith, which means also the heart of giving, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who gave himself up for his people to save us from our sin. He saved us with his blood and we're called likewise to live sacrificial lives across the board in all areas of living, including giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, the chapter before the one we read says, something kind of interesting related to this. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness of your love, also excel in giving. So giving is included, and this is again why it's important for us to think about this as God's people. Giving there is included with some very basic parts of the Christian life. Something so basic as our faith itself, our speech, how we talk, which our, our knowledge, our love, and giving. Is it as important to you and me as these other very obvious areas of life? Excelling in everything. We want to excel as believers. We want to be a church in all areas that doesn't just get by, doesn't just slip by. That's just getting by as Christians, I really, really don't believe is enough for our day and age, friends. I don't believe 
just slipping through the doors of heaven is enough in our day and age to stay safe from the evil one. I don't think that's going to get us, it's going to be good enough for the finish line. I look at the church world today and I frankly sometimes wonder. I wonder, I wonder how many believers, and I think especially in our, in our nation, how many Christians are saying by their actions, how many people are saying about the faith, about the importance of Jesus and his people, how many believers are saying today, ah, whatever, sure, I'll come to worship when it's convenient, when I don't have any other big thing going on, I'll show up pretty regularly, sure, I'll give a little few percentage of my income to the church. I frankly, for myself and my family and for this church, do not care about the trends of worship attendance and giving and commitment in America. And all the trends are bad, by the way. We don't have to follow the trends. Your home doesn't have to follow the trends. Our church doesn't have to. We can make life-transforming decisions to go against the tide and excel. God doesn't call us to moan and complain about the trends. He doesn't call us to point the fingers at other people or other churches or to compare ourselves with them. He calls us in all areas of our life, every minute of every day, to look to our own hearts and respond to what he has done in Jesus and to excel. And we can do that through the Spirit's power. And, and maybe this excelling or sacrificial giving is the area that you need to talk about in terms of, of giving. And if I'm being honest, this is probably where Sarah and I are at, and I think we should talk about it. I think we're as a family at a certain level of health, biblically speaking, but are we giving sacrificially? Are we excelling? And maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk about it later, not right now. But I really I think that that's where we're at. Maybe that's where you're at. Third, giving is non-coerced. Our text says we should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. And then it says this famous text, God loves a cheerful giver. Our emotional health is very important too, not just our physical health. And this principle is about our attitude in giving. The Bible says giving shouldn't be under compulsion. And the reality is sometimes pastors and churches or ministries, maybe you get phone calls or letters, sometimes they put guilt trips on people and they manipulate. And cracking the whip may result in temporarily some more dollars and cents, but that's not the way. God loves a cheerful giver. We give out of God's grace just as we live out of God's grace. And there are preaching styles and ways of doing church that really lay down the law and I hope that you have never sensed that at Faith CRC. We are about grace, grace, grace. The wonderful grace of Jesus. That's not to say there's not a need for the truth of God and discipline in our lives. Of course there is. 
But it's all in the context of God's amazing grace and forgiveness, his unconditional love and acceptance. We're in the age of grace, not law. And I I don't believe we have ever been manipulative in terms of our finances here, and we're sure not going to start. We're going to be straightforward about the church's needs, straightforward about the Bible's teaching, and then trust in God to do the rest. We don't give under compulsion at faith or anywhere else, but with cheer, with a smile on our face, if it were possible, just as we go about our Christian life in general. Now, sometimes circumstances and the devil himself will pull you down in your life, and you might not feel the cheer. And sometimes in the church, And in our own homes, finances stress us out. If someone has not been majorly stressed out by finances, I I really would find that hard to believe. And it can even make us cranky sometimes. But that's not the normal. We have our times of doubt, but that's not the normal way of it for a believer. You see, we give cheerfully, responding to God's grace. Final principle. Give and you will be blessed. J.L. Kraft is the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation. And he had a tremendous love. He'd given approximately 25% of his crazy, enormous income to Christian causes for many years. And he said, a guy who knew something about investments, the only investment I ever made that has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I've given to the Lord. And that's a guy who knows about money and finances and dividends. Captain Levy, a believer from Philadelphia, was once asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work and still be so wealthy. And he said, oh, as I shovel it out, God shovels it in and the Lord has a bigger shovel. Now both of those Examples, some of you who are more cynical will immediately notice, are from people who are very wealthy. And I want to be very quick to say that the Bible does not guarantee you fantastic wealth if you give proportionately, if you give sacrificially, and if you give with a cheerful heart. But the Bible does guarantee you that God will bless your decision to give faithfully, that God will take care of you, that God will provide for all your needs and more, physically and spiritually. And I want to close with an example from someone who's not so wealthy. And it's from my own family's history. I'm blessed to have both grandpas still living. Grandpa Shuringa, a number of you knew, know he's still living. He uh, grew up in Englewood and then moved later on to northwest Indiana. Wonderful Christian example to me in many ways, including generosity and giving. One that I don't think very many of you know is my grandpa Post. He immigrated to the United States after World War II from the Netherlands and ended up in northwest Indiana, DeMott, where I was born. Grandpa Post had 10 children, nine girls and one boy. Yeah. You wonder, you wonder uh, how this happens, huh? <laughs> Grandpa Post worked very hard his whole life. 
long hours, but he was not wealthy. I mean, on the other end of it. There was, uh, the house had one shower, I believe, for those nine girls. But he was committed to a Christian education for his children. For ten children, remember. And there was no way humanly possible he could afford that education. But you know what he did? Each year he sent his kids, put one foot in front of the other, and somehow, miraculously, God provided every month all those years. Now, did he sit back and do nothing? No, he worked his tail off. Did his kids work and make money as soon as they were able and contribute to this? You bet they did. Did they wear the latest fashions? They sure didn't. Did they go as a family on grand vacations? Never. Would those kids have iPads if the family lived today? Certainly not. Not that any of those things are bad. They're certainly not. But are they necessary? No. Should we let stuff and earthly comforts and what other people do and how they live around us get in the way of what our financial priorities need to be? No. We can never, ever do that. My mom just turned 60, and we asked her recently, if she lacked anything or had any regrets about living that kind of life growing up? No, not one regret. The point is, Grandpa Post was faithful to God's call in a matter that had significant financial ramifications, and God never let him down. You can apply this to Christian education if you like, but this is more about the general principle that when you put your financial priorities in the right place, God will provide, God will bless in ways that are finite, fearful, tentative, untrusting, foolish little minds can't even imagine. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty in Malachi, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates What did the doctor find today? What's the diagnosis? What's the next step you might need to take toward greater financial health and giving health? Don't delay. Start today. Make plans on the car ride home. You can go online to start the giving, start the discipline, start the faithfulness. Young couples, I'd urge you to get started now. And expect a life of witnessing God's amazing provision. Those of us that are older, is today the prodding you needed to get some things shored up? Is it? All faithful givers who have discovered the secret already, keep up the good work. Know and be confirmed that you're on the right track. And excel even. At giving. Healthy giving in response to what the Lord has given us. And you know what he's given us, don't you? Everything. 